About a year and a half ago, I had the opportunity to build this friendship with a really neat guy here in the city. He's in his late 50s. Uh, you know, if it, honestly, if it wasn't for Jesus, I'm not sure there's really any way that our paths would have crossed, but we began building this friendship and he works for this huge global corporation. Uh, he's in the executive team there. He's worked there for about 25 years, been extremely successful, really strategic. You know, on top of all of that, he's a faithful husband, a father, a grandfather, just kind of the life of the party, one of those guys that you love to be around. And so, uh, we started this friendship about a year and a half ago, and it's been really fun for me to just watch him try to live out his faith in all of these spheres of his life that God has given him. And so as we've gotten to know each other, he's, he's gotten pretty open just about sharing some of his challenges and the things that he's gone through. And a few weeks ago, he was, he was sharing something with me that just really kind of caught my attention. He was, he was talking about just some of the pressures that he's felt uh, increasing pressures over the last couple of years as he's trying to live faithfully for Jesus in the context of this huge global corporation that he works for. And he said over the last 10 years, he goes, there's just been this kind of like rising tide of secular thought and everything has just kind of invaded the context of the company that he's worked for, which isn't shocking. It's not a Christian company. He never thought it was, never wanted it to be. You know, he just is a great job just working for them. He said, but over the last few years in particular, the, the, the pressure has gone from just being sort of casual and occasional. He said, it's just persistent. And he said, every day I just feel like I'm swimming against the current of the culture and I'm just wrestling with how do I live faithfully for Jesus in the midst of you know, my work, I'm trying to provide for my family. And so a couple of months ago, he got called in for his just kind of yearly performance review. It's the thing that he does every single year, sits down with his boss and um, some people from the board and he's there and they're going over his, all of his metrics, everything that he's done. It's been an amazing year for him. He's accomplished all of these things that he thought he'd been asked to accomplish. But he said, his, his boss said, hey, there's, there's, there's this thing though, we've, we've noticed this trend um, in your work that's been disturbing to us. I don't know if you've ever had one of these moments where you're sitting there with uh, your, your boss and they say, we've noticed a trend. And very rarely do you hear that and go, oh, this is good news, you know, I'm getting a raise. And so we know, we've noticed a trend. And, he said, over the last couple of years, you know, some of the things that our companies participated in, you haven't shown up for it. Some of the things that we've given to, to, like you haven't participated in, and we just love to give you an opportunity to just explain why you seem to be, be withdrawing from some of these things our company's leaning all the way in on. Now, the issues are not the conversation for this morning. I just want you to feel the pressure that my friend was in. He goes, well, here's the truth. He goes, some of the things that we as a company are promoting and celebrating and funding. He goes, it just doesn't line up with who I am as a follower of Jesus. He said, that's the truth. And so he said, I haven't been argumentative. I haven't been divisive. I've tried to be peaceful. He goes, but that's why I haven't shown up at some of these things. That's why I haven't given to some of these uh, initiatives. And his boss looked at him and said, well, here's the deal. He said, this year you will participate and you will give, or you will not be in this seat on the team anymore. And all of a sudden he's sitting there wrestling with this this challenge going, man, I'm close to retirement. I've worked for this company for 20 plus years. I've been a, a great steward of my responsibilities and all that I've been asked. But now there's these cultural issues that I don't know, like, like how do I live as a faithful follower of Jesus in the midst of opposition to what it is that I claim to believe? And, and I was asking him, I said, what sort of advice and stuff have you been getting in the midst of this? And he goes, man, it's been crazy. He goes, I have some friends that are like, you gotta sue that company and you gotta take this national and you've got to protest. And, and he's like, ah, you know, I'm not, 
I'm not sure that's gonna be my approach. And, and then he has some friends that just say, hey, it's not that big of a deal. You know, just show up, just give a little bit of money. Not that big of a deal. Just, just subtle compromise, the Lord knows your heart. So then I have some friends over here that are just like, hey, just, just pack up your stuff, head out, just, just get out of town. And he goes, I'm wrestling with, he goes, I know God has called me to be a faithful witness in this space. What does it look like to live like Jesus here? And, and some, of you, some of you know this. You know this tension. You feel this pressure. You know, my buddy doesn't live in San Francisco or New York or London. I mean, he's here in Nashville, and he's going, I'm struggling to live as a faithful follower of Jesus in the midst of the place where I'm spending 50 hours a week. He goes, how, how do I live faithfully with Jesus in the face of opposition, in a culture that's so divided and so outraged about absolutely everything. How do I live gracious and truthful and bold and humble? And he's like, what's that tension? How do I walk it out? And for some of you, this is the pressure you're in today. You feel it every single day. And some of you, this feels like a far off reality, but here's what I wanna promise you. For every single one of you, this reality is coming to your doorstep. And I'm not saying that in this like ominous, like it's coming to get you. I'm just saying this is the reality is if you are walking faithfully with Jesus, there are gonna be moments where your life and the culture cannot flow in the same direction and you are gonna experience some opposition. And the question is how do you honor Jesus and walk really faithfully for the sake of the people that God has called you to serve in the midst of that moment? Here, here's what I love is, you know, here Paul, this guy that, Loved this church. He had started this church in this global city of Philippi. He had started this church in the midst of great opposition. He was in prison. God did some amazing things, gets him out of the scenario. But in the face of great opposition, Paul starts this church. And then 10 years later, he's writing from prison, a theme in his life, you know, writing back to this church. And he goes, hey, let's have a conversation about how to live faithfully with Jesus when the world is opposing you. And how do you do it in such a way that even those that are opposing you look at you and go, man, there's something different about Jason and Chloe. Like, what do they got? There's something different about Gary and Noel. There's something different about Jonathan. There's something different. How do you live this out? And I love this because Paul is just gonna get so wonderfully practical. And I just wanna read these four verses over us. Look at Philippians chapter one, starting in verse 27. I love this, he says, whatever happens, whatever happens, you know, rich or poor, rain or shine, like life is good, life is hard. Your work loves you, your work hates you. Like your wife loves you, your wife hates you. Like, like whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, when, then whether I come to see you, cause I got out of prison, or only hear about you in my absence because I didn't. I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This will be a sign for them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and all of this is by God. For it has been granted to you or gifted to you on behalf of Christ to not only believe in him, listen to this, but also to suffer for him. Paul goes, your belief is a gift, 
Your suffering is a gift. Some of you are going, okay, suffering, if that's a gift, I need the gift receipt. I wanna take suffering back, I don't want that. Didn't sign up for that at youth camp when I raised my hand and then got baptized, like, not what I thought. Verse 30, he goes, but since you were going through the same struggle you saw that I had. Remember back in Acts 16 when Paul had started this church, he was falsely accused, he was brutally beaten, he was arrested, he was put in prison. Paul goes, you saw that in me, and he goes, now you yourself, you're going through that same struggle. You saw what I had, and now you still hear that I have. This is the word of the Lord out of Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. Here's what I love is every single word is just so pregnant with eternal wisdom. Like we could, we could stop and we could just literally sit in every word, and there is like God would just, man, there's so much in this. Like don't let today's 30-minute conversation be the only time you sit in these four verses. But just for the sake of simplicity, I want to give us kind of a roadmap to think through these four verses in, in light of what it means to be faithful in the midst of opposition. And I just want you to notice what Paul's going to do. He's going to say, hey, here's a, here's a gospel principle. He's going to start with the principle. Like, here's something that you can use. You can apply it in all these settings of your life. Here's a principle. And then very practically speaking, he's gonna go, and here's how that principle works itself out in the face of opposition. And then he's gonna end with a promise for anybody that's willing to walk in the ways of Jesus no matter what you're facing. And so I wanna start with the principle. He's gonna say, hey, here's a, here's a principle that I want you to see. Look back at verse 27. He says, whatever happens... You know, we should almost end every Sunday gathering this way by just like looking at each other. Hey, whatever happens this week. <laughs> hey, whatever happens, whether you see it or coming or not, whatever happens, Paul's gonna go, hey, here's the principle. Whatever happens, no matter your circumstances, live your life or conduct your life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, if we were to look at this in the original language, that phrase, conduct your life in a manner that is worthy, you could underline that phrase, but, but the phrasing in the original language is the same phrase or the same idea that we get our English word for politics from. And so Paul's gonna get political here, but not in the way that we think. Paul's gonna say, you are citizens of Philippi, you're citizens of Rome, you're citizens of Nashville, like you live your life under a constitution of a republic, you live your life under a, a set of thinking and a way of living, and he goes, but more than that, he goes, you live your life not by the politics of your land, you live your life by the politics of the kingdom of heaven, by the gospel of Christ. In other words, he's gonna say that for a follower of Jesus, your life is not marked by an elephant or a donkey, but by a lion and a lamb. And we could, we could just go down a whole thing right here, couldn't we? He's gonna say, you are living under a new constitution. You're citizens of someone and something higher and more pervasive than where your feet are gonna to touch every single day. He's gonna say, so no matter what happens in your life or in your job or in your neighborhood or around your dinner table or in your dorm room, he goes, conduct yourselves according to a new politic, to a new way of thinking. In other words, Paul's gonna say, there is no part of your life that is off limits from the gospel of Jesus. Everything should be congruent with what it is that you claim to believe. And so here's the principle, if I was gonna just kind of sum it up real simply, he's gonna say your life should make sense in light of what you say you believe. 
Your life should make sense in light of what you say you believe. And so if you say you believe in peace and that you're a pacifist, he's gonna say, well, you probably aren't gonna have a lot of guns and watch UFC fights. Like, like what you say you believe and how you live are probably gonna line up. Or if you say you believe that college football is the greatest sport invented in the history of humanity, he's gonna say, if that's your belief, then you know you can only cheer for teams in the SEC because it's the only place <laughs> where football is played accordingly, right? Like, your, your life and your beliefs, they have to come together. They've gotta be congruent. But Paul's gonna say, no, here's the principle though, like you live under a greater constitution, and that is every aspect of who you are should be in step with the claims of the gospel. The claims of the gospel. Gospel means good news. And here's what I want you to understand is when Paul or the other New Testament writers use this phrase gospel, they're not just talking about a set of moral principles or philosophical realities, although the gospel touches those things. Gospel is the declaration of something good that has happened. And Paul goes, something has happened historically in the world that changes everything, including how you date and how you spend your money and how you work and how you uh, operate in every sphere of your life. He goes, here's the gospel, is that God has become man in Jesus Christ. He's become human. He lived a sinless life. He died a sinner's death. On the third day, he rose from the grave by the power of God. He has returned to heaven where he is alive and well, doing better than he's ever been, sitting at the right hand of God. And one day he indeed will return to raise the people of God back to life, to judge the living and the dead, and to reign and rule in a new heaven and a new earth forever. Paul says, that's the good news. That's what you proclaim. And you say you believe it. You sing every Sunday like you believe it, but is your life congruent with what you claim to believe? This is the principle. The principle is make sure, no matter what's happening in your life, whatever you do, that your life is living under the constitution of what you say you think and love and believe about Jesus. So that's the principle. Now, here's what I love is, Paul could take that principle and he could aim it at anything in our life and it would, it would have practical implications. Like Paul, like he could say, hey, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus. So practically speaking, how does that reality invade your dating relationships? So some of you went on dates last night, congratulations. Um, the, the person that you hung out with last night, would she be shocked to hear that you believe the gospel is real. By how you spoke, by how you tried to touch her or did not touch her. Is your life congruent with the reality of the gospel? He's gonna say, it's gonna, it's gonna touch everything. It'll touch the way you date. It'll touch the way you spend your time and your energy and your money and your resources and the way that you work and the way that you deal with all sorts of things. So he could have taken this principle and applied it to anything. But I want you to notice what he's gonna do. He's gonna take this principle and he's gonna aim it at how do we live faithfully in the midst of opposition. And he's gonna get really, really practical. So let's just kind of take this principle and bring it practically down into this realm of opposition. Look at verse 28 with me. So he's talked about the principle and then he's gonna say, hey, without being frightened in any way by those who what? Somebody help me out. By those who oppose you. 
by those who oppose you. He's going to say, hey, here is this practical reality. He goes, I want to, this principle, I want to bring it down practically into your life. He, he goes, as you walk with Jesus, you are going to face some opposition. Now, once again, we could give a whole sermon on spiritual opposition. We spent most of our fall doing that, so I'm not going to give you a whole thing here, but just to make sure we're at least all reading out of the same playbook, just a a few simple reminders about spiritual opposition. Jesus said, if you walk faithfully with him, you will experience opposition. John 15, verse 58, he says, you think they hated me? Wait till you see what they do to you. How's that for a pep talk, you know? (laughs) Jesus is in the locker room. He's like, hey guys, watch what they're about to do to me. It's gonna be worse for you. Like, opposition's gonna come when you walk with Jesus. We expect it. But it doesn't just come, we have to understand from where it comes, and that's the scripture that Renna read over us earlier, right before the teaching out of Ephesians chapter six. The the Bible reminds us that not only does opposition come, but it comes from spiritual powers and principalities and authorities in heavenly places, that, that the battle that you're in, the opposition that you're facing, does not originate in the human heart. It originates in spiritual powers and principalities and authorities. And so when we think about opposition, we go, we expect it to come. We know that it comes from spiritual places. So our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against your coworkers. It's not against the Republicans or the Democrats. It's not against your mother-in-law or your next door neighbor or the person in the dorm room. Your, your battle is not against flesh and blood. The opposition's gonna come It's gonna come from heavenly places. Just one more little reminder, but even though it comes from heavenly places, that war is a proxy war and the devil loves to fight it through people. Verse 28, Paul is gonna say, those who oppose you. (laughs) He's he's like, hey, Jim, you know that dude at your work, like he's coming against you. (laughs) And he could have named names. He's like, this is real. And this is the great tension of life in the kingdom of God, that we understand we're in a battle, that it's a spiritual battle, that it's not against flesh and blood, but so often it's a proxy war fought through people. And so how do we fight the war without misunderstanding who the enemy is? Does that make sense? So Paul goes, here's the principle, whatever happens, conduct your life in a manner that is in line with what you say you believe about the gospel of Jesus. Practically speaking, how do you live that out when people start opposing you? How do you live that out when people are wrestling with what your place at the table is because of what you claim to believe about Jesus? And I I love this. He just gets so, so practical. I bet you could have given us 15 different things, but he knows we couldn't remember them. So he just gives us a couple. Look back at verse 27 with me. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know, you can underline this if you want, that you will stand firm, that's a defensive posture, in one spirit, striving together, striving together, that is an offensive posture, as one for the gospel. I love this. He's gonna say, what's it look like to faithfully, to faithfully stand with Jesus? When you face opposition, Paul's gonna go, hey guys, sometimes it's gonna be a defensive posture. He goes, sometimes people are gonna come against you. It's really the enemy coming against you through people. And and as followers of Jesus, not only do you have permission to stand firm and to hold your ground, you are commanded to stand firm and hold your ground. Does that make sense? 
Not only do you have permission, you are commanded. We are commanded. Hey, hold the line. Hold the ground. He's gonna say sometimes it's defensive and you're gonna feel like, man, I just wanna give in. I just wanna soften the blow. I just wanna keep my friendship. I just wanna keep peace in my family. He's gonna say, you're gonna have to learn how to stand your ground. It's defensive. And he goes, and by the grace of God, you get to take ground, striving forward together. See, because Paul understood that the war was coming from spiritual powers and principalities and authorities, it was gonna come through people, and he understood that the people who were opposing him, they were not his enemies, they were just prisoners of war. And that in every moment of opposition, there was also an opportunity for the very one that was coming against them. Guys, some of the people that are bringing the most pressure against you in your life is actually your place of greatest opportunity. If you could understand they're not your enemy, but there's someone that God loves that he desperately wants to bring back into the family of God by the power of his son, Jesus, then we face opposition with a fundamentally different perspective. He's gonna say, hey, you stand firm, it's defensive. You strive forward, it's offensive at times. And this is what my friend was wrestling with, right, about his job. He goes, wait, do I just pack up my stuff and leave? Do I take a stand? Like, how do I do this? And Paul's gonna say, okay, you, you stand your ground, you strive forward, but I love this. He's gonna say, but here's your temperament as you do this. And if you take notes, just two, two things that he just kind of just illuminates as he talks about this defensive and offensive reality. He's gonna say, I want you to be utterly unified with other believers, I want you to be utterly unified and I want you to be unapologetically fearless. How do you stand defensively? How do you move forward with hope? He goes, well, you do it in unity with other believers, like you need each other. Look back at verse 27, look at how many times he's gonna speak to unity here. I love this. You stand firm in what? In one spirit, striving together as what? as one, as one. Paul's gonna say the battle in front of you is gonna be fierce, so make sure you're not losing the battle beside you. The battle in front of you is gonna be intense because you need your brothers and sisters. You know, Christian unity is not just a nice thing, it is a necessary thing. You know, Jesus is gonna say the world is gonna know that he was sent from the Father because of the way that we what? The way that we love each other. Guys, unity is messy, it is it is not efficient. <laughs> unity is very rarely uh, you know, uh, desirable in some contexts, but unity is a fundamental reality of life in the kingdom of God. And Paul is gonna say, you cannot stand strong in the face of opposition if you try to do it on your own. He goes, you've got to learn how to walk as one. How to be in relationship with each other, know each other, love each other. Think about a guy in our church who works for a big company here in, in the city, and just is constantly just feeling some of the pressures that we've been talking about, and I love it. He said, a couple of weeks into my job, he said, I just decided I was gonna start looking for other followers of Jesus in the company. And once a week, we do lunch together, and we pray together, and we pray for our coworkers, we pray for the opportunity that God has given us, and they are learning how to live and walk as one. They're from all different kinds of churches, all different backgrounds, a lot of different perspectives, but they understand in Christ, the gospel has transformed something, and they're no longer competitors in the gospel, but they're collaborators, and that God wants to do something. This is why we do Awaken. Like, do you know how much easier to be just to pray by ourselves in this city? Let me tell you, it's a lot easier. <laughs> Why do we bring the whole city together? 
Because literally the mission cannot happen unless we're walking in unity with churches across the city. It's fundamentally impossible unless the body's walking together. And Paul's gonna go, hey, here's the principle. Whatever you do, live in congruence with what you say you believe about Jesus. Practically speaking, in the face of opposition, sometimes it's defensive, sometimes it's offensive, but in all of it, you're walking in unity with other Christians. But I love this. He doesn't just talk about unity. He gives us one more. He goes, and I want you to be unapologetically fearless. Now, this is kind of interesting. Look back at verse 28. He goes, without being frightened. You know, some of your Bibles say, not being intimidated by anything. I like that translation. You're not intimidated. And I want you to understand this. You know, Paul is not speaking about your feelings. He's speaking about your actions. Did you know it is very possible to be scared to death, but to live utterly fearless? (laughs) Did you know that's a possibility? Like, I used to think that I had to feel fearless in order to be fearless. And I think especially in our world where we are so in tune with our emotions that we, we do not see the difference between these two realities. But what the scripture is speaking to, Paul's going, hey, you can live fearlessly even if you are actually scared to death. He goes, because you know the gospel and you saw what they did to Jesus and you saw what the power of God did in his life, raised him back to life. And so Even death is not your final thing. And so what if they fire you? What if they put you in prison? What if they come against you? What if they persecute you? What if they even kill you? Paul goes, spoiler alert, you're not gonna die. You're not gonna die. You'll be raised back to life to live forever. And he goes, so you've got nothing to fear. (laughs) Okay, maybe you don't get invited back to the birthday party next year because they think you're a fundamentalist. Maybe Thanksgiving dinner is a little awkward because you stood your ground. But Paul goes, hey, there's something in this. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of what you say you believe. When people oppose you, man, defensively, offensively, in unity and utterly fearless, walk the gospel out. And if you do that, He goes, there's a promise. And this kind of that last bucket. He goes, there's a promise that comes your way. It's really interesting. Look back at verse 28 with me. It says, don't be frightened in any way by those who oppose you because this will be a sign to them that they will be destroyed but that you will be saved and that all of this is by God. It's a really interesting phrase. I'm like, what is the sign? (laughs) He says, this is the sign. And I'm like, what's the sign? What's the, he goes, this is the sign. He goes, what's the sign? And he goes, you learning how to stand your ground and you learning how to take ground in humble, gentle, loving unity and utterly fearless. He goes, as you learn how to walk that out, your life becomes a flashing billboard of the gospel. If you think about what a sign is, a sign simply points people in a direction. And I want you to notice what Paul doesn't promise. Paul doesn't say, hey, if you're unified, and if you're fearless, then you will be validated at the company picnic. Like if, if you are fearless and loving and unified, then everything will work out in your family the way that you think. That's not what he says. He says, no, if you live this way, your life will function like a supernatural sign. You may not even be aware of how that sign is functioning in the life of the people that are opposing you. He goes, but your life will be a sign and they will look at you and they'll go, They are loving, they are gracious, they are unified, (laughs) they are fearless. 
They are strong and yet tender. Somehow they can challenge me without me hating. Like, what's going on? You know, and he'll say, There's something about the way that you live that even those who oppose you will stop and they will begin to discern if their life is moving towards destruction or life. And he goes, And your life will become an invitation for them to enter into the eternal beauty of life in the kingdom of God. Because you may not see it. You may not understand it. They may see the sign of your life and reject it and still keep going in the wrong direction. He goes, but your life becomes a proclamation of the gospel when you stand strong in opposition. And I th- guys, I think this is the reason why Jesus says, we pray for people when they come against us. We love them when they come against us. We give thanks when we experience pressure and persecution. Why? Because Jesus is gonna go, hey, this is an opportunity for the love of God to be on display in ways that it never gets on display unless Christians experience opposition. And this is something we have to reclaim as the people of God in our current moment. Because so often when opposition comes, we just go, oh man, what am I doing wrong? How do we, you know, it's like, no. When opposition comes, maybe the question we should ask is, what are we doing right? And Jesus, how do we keep walking this out in ways that beautifully and gently reflect you? You know, there's some of you this morning and you are in the thick of this. It's like, it's like somebody's been reading your mail. You're like, man, this is my world. And this morning as we receive communion, as we get time for prayer, like, You may just need to circle up with the people around you and just say, hey, I'm in the battle every day and I need help. I need need to be reminded of the gospel. I need to figure out how to walk this out practically. I need to be forgiven for the areas where I've acted like a coward and I've compromised, like whatever it is. Like some of you are in the thick of it and you need space just to pray and process. There'll be some men and women that respond, man, and we'd love to pray with you. There's some of you here this morning and this whole conversation has felt so irrelevant. It's felt like really far off. Remember a few weeks before Sydney and I got married, my dad took me to Home Depot and, and uh, he said, hey, I wanna get you some tools. He said, I know you, have, you don't have a place to store a lot of them and you don't even know how to use all of these tools. I failed you as a father, you know, but he's like, he's like hey, I'm gonna get you some tools and a day is coming when you're gonna need these tools and I just want you to have what you need in the house. And there's some of you that are sitting here this morning and you're like, none of this even lines up with my life. I'm just telling you, a day is coming when you're gonna need the tools that the Holy Spirit is trying to put in your hands in regards to facing opposition. So for some of you this morning, it's just, hey Lord, would you just open my heart, help me to receive with faith. Help me in all of the small ways to keep a heart that's tender and skin that's tough. So no matter what happens, to conduct myself in a way that is in, in light of the gospel of Jesus, especially as people oppose me with unity and courage, offensively and defensively, so that they look at my life and go, wow, who do they know? And so that's what we're gonna do. We're, this morning, we're gonna receive communion. We have the bread, we have the cup, it's all around the room. And every week, we come to this moment, we're reminded that Jesus Christ literally walked this path that we're talking about and then he invites us into it. And so as you receive the bread and as you receive the cup, as we pray for each other and strengthen each other, um, man, fix your hearts remembering the Lord um, together. If, if you need prayers for anything, if you need healing in your life, there's some of you came this morning and 
You need God to heal you physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. You need freedom from some addiction. You need, you need God to show up and break through. We'd love to pray with you. There'd be men and women at the Respond Banner to do that. So let's stand up together. I wanna pray a blessing over you. We'll receive communion. And then we'll end in worship. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the way that you shepherd our souls and you help us navigate the complexity of life as we live and walk with you. God, for those that are in the battle right now, would you strengthen their resolve and their heart and help them to live in light of who you are and what you've done and what you'll do. And for those who are receiving this word this morning, more from a place of preparation, would you help our hearts to be sensitive and tender and receptive? In the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, I love you. Let's come receive communion. Circle up your chairs, pray together. And then we'll end with a little bit of worship.